0: I love that. I was a tomboy. I was literally on a horse most of my childhood, belting through the... I mean, it sounds made <laughs> belting, We used to go riding up in Kosciuszko National Park and we'd chase brumbies and we were just wild. We were wild and we were happy and we were sort of unchecked.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Life on the Land, the Grazy Her podcast telling the stories of women living across rural and remote Australia. I'm Em Herbert, your host for today. Samantha Armitage helped millions of Aussies wake up every day for eight years as one of our most loved TV personalities and co-host of popular national breakfast show Sunrise. Known for her humour, her sharp journalistic sense and for being a down-to-earth straight shooter, Sam radiates this beautiful authenticity which can often be lost in the shine of TV land something she puts down to her country roots and her connection to her family on the land. Her 23 years in media has been nothing short of extraordinary, covering historic moments like the Canberra bushfires, Brisbane's floods and the trials of the Bali Nine and Chappelle Corby in Bali. She's reported from the East Timor conflict, the Cronulla riots and the Christchurch mosque massacre, as well as Michael Jackson's funeral in L.A., the Queen's Diamond Jubilee in London, and Meghan and Harry's Wedding in Windsor. And then, last year in March 2021, she let the sun set on her Sunrise career, resigning from the top seat in TV to move to the Southern Highlands equine property she shares with her new husband, Richard Lavender. I just loved this chat with Sam and her wonderful and refreshingly open insights into her life her enormous career, and what's next, including some surprise new reporting roles for Channel 7. Oh, it's so lovely to see your face, and thank you so much for your time this morning. I know you're flat out, so I so appreciate it. That's my pleasure, Em. And I am flat. I
0: haven't been flat out for a while, but I am at the moment. It doesn't rain at pause, but that's good. I like to be busy, and it's good to be busy again. But everything's happening at the same time. Racing is about to start, and Farmer uh, Wants a Wife has launched, and we're actually getting ready to record next seasons. So um, it's busy, but it's good. Yeah,
1: flat out. How has it been hosting or guest hosting on Farmer? It's been really fun. I was thrilled to be invited and it was so, it's sort of interesting how it
0: all happened. You know, I left Sunrise last March and I had a break from all of that and it was terrific. And then Channel 7 came to me and, and offered me another contract and I was sort of thinking, okay, right, <laughs> I didn't expect this. And they said, look, what do you want to do? How about a bit of farmer? How about a bit of racing? You know, they were all things that either really appealed to me uh, and really suited my interests and most importantly I think to me it was away from the newsroom I'd done 22 years in in news related programs and that cycle is relentless so to do a little bit of reality tv and a bit of horse race I mean sport is fun and I've never done that before so at this point in my life it's a nice challenge to try your hand at something new Mm. but also things that um you know, appeal to me, that I'm enjoying. It's a really, it's, it's a fantastic contract. I
1: can't believe my luck. Well, it's lovely to also inject that warmth and lightness and love into your work. And you know, with those reality TV shows, what is it like behind the scenes? Is it legit? Are the relationships real? Yes look
0: there's a lot of reality TV shows I would have said no to. I didn't ever see that I would position myself. No love Island? <laughs> no Love You won't see me pop up on maths although can I just say Richard does love maths occasionally. Um, much to my horror <laughs> I walk through the room sometimes I'm like what are you watching? He loves a bit of trash um, but I I And when they came to me with Farmer, I sort of was like, oh, okay. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, And I'm pleased to say part of the reason I agree to it is that it is, it is, I mean, it's a reality show, you know, you, it's, it's, it's got to be dramatic, (laughs) but it's, It's pretty genuine. I I think the farmers are genuinely there to find love and I think they've casted extremely well this season. Those blokes and Paige are really fantastic. I really like them Um, and they were genuinely there to meet someone. I mean you you know you're always going to have people um, partners turning up from the city who might not be there for the right reasons but I think you weed through. I mean that's all part of it. So Mm. I'm pleased to say it's it's as genuine as reality TV gets. And it's been, it's done in a kind way. You know, I wouldn't be part of something that's mean. That is not, that
1: is not what I'm after these days. Mm, Absolutely. And part of the promotion was, you know, you met your farmer, you've moved to the countryside. I'd love to just kind of quickly chat about that. I mean, how did you meet Rich? And when did you know he was the one?
0: Well, I met Rich, oh gosh, I can't even remember how many years ago now. It's gone quite quickly. Everything's happened in quite a hurry for us, which is good. I'm glad. Uh, Probably four years now. We met at a party through a mutual friend who had tried to set us up before. She had mentioned him to me and she said, you two are going to hit it off. You've got all the same things in common. You like all the same things. And you're very similar. And, you know, we're born a day apart, 17 years apart, but a day apart. So we are quite similar in a lot of ways. And I was dating someone else at the time and I was like, oh, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> that wasn't, it wasn't really working, but I wasn't really, you know, knowing how to end it. And then we met at this party and the rest is history. It was, it, well, he, he went off to Milan after that. He was going to go and do a shoemaking course in Milan. Oh, wow. um, He's very I know he's very interesting my husband he's he makes beautiful um, uh, leather work does beautiful leather work belts and saddles and you know he's very creative for a farmer and so when we first met he had booked in to do this shoemaking course in Milan and he was going to I mean he was divorced he was trying to you know just got to go and do a bit of travel and and do this for fun. rent out his house and I sort of thought god I've met this guy and now he's going to take off to Milan and you know if you love them set them free but this is (laughs) great and then it's funny how life turns out isn't it because the drought I mean remember that terrible drought before this terrible La Nina so the drought was here we were about to run out of water through the winter caribbean region and down to Shoalhaven the rivers were literally about to stock um so he couldn't really leave stock and then COVID hit and Milan was as we know the center of um you know the ground zero in Europe Mm. for COVID so thank god he didn't go so there's a whole lot of things that got in the way of him going he's still booked in we will go and do it one day he can go and do the shoot course and I'll just live in Italy and write a book or you know do some cooking courses or fine yes and this is why I sort of rearranged my life so we could Make room and time for this fun stuff. So I wasn't just, you know, chained to this job where I was getting out of bed in the middle of the night and I, you know, it was hard to go anywhere. I wanted to free up my life. And luckily, I was um, financially and emotionally in a position to do that.
1: So I just turned it all around. Well, you did have such a busy, rich life in living in Bondi and working in that fast paced landscape of the media. What was it like moving back to the country? Did you ever envision that that would? be in the future for you? I did, I talked about it all the time, but talking and doing are two separate things as we all know
0: well, Um, I used to think about it all the time, but I just didn't know how I'd ever do it because that job just wasn't conducive to living in the country. And to be honest, I hadn't lived I mean, I went to boarding school at 13 in Sydney. So technically, and I never really went, you know, after you leave boarding school, Mm -hmm. then you go to, I did a gap year, I went to university in Bathurst, and then I started working straight away, and I've been working flat chat ever since until now. Um, So I hadn't really lived in the country since I was 13. And so I, I I had a very romantic (laughs) vision of it. And at that point, you know, we were living down at at a minute. We were down on the snowy mountains on the Monero on a, on a beautiful property down there that dad was managing. And, I mean, it's very different to um, you know, we're very, very isolated. It was a long way. I mean, now we're very, it's extraordinarily lucky. We're just mm-hmm. out of hour or we're at literally an hour from Sydney. So I'm not pretending to be, you know, out back. It's not the back of Cobar. Um, but it was, it, you know, there's still a whole lot. I was I was very used to the city by that point. And mm-hmm. you know, I was living, as you say, in North Bondi, getting delivery, You it took me, you know. Four minutes to get to work at four three am. Um, you have all the the ease of city living and all the you know you can book a spray tan, you can eat, go to a restaurant, and you have to you know readjust your life. But I was prepared to do that, and I wanted to do that, and it's so lovely. I love being Sydney's become a very hard city to live in, and I still dip in and out for work, but I don't have to live there all the time. So that lets you love it a bit more. But, um, you know, it's been uh, sometimes I I sort
1: of think, oh, (laughs) it's not that easy in the country, but it's worth every second.
0: I love my life here.
1: What are some of the challenges that you've found during the transition? Well, Wi-Fi. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, all of a sudden,
0: you know, I always had, when I was doing the job at Sunrise, I I tried to be a good mouthpiece for um, country and regional people because mum and dad were living, um, uh, we lived at Adaminibi at Valero Station for 25 years and then mum and dad um, bought a place out the back of Wagak. Dad's originally a hay boy. And so mum and dad were living out on the Riverina 20 minutes out of town. So they, you know, they they were really good um rock for me and a and a really good connection to the bush I really knew what was going on out there and and what pe- country people were saying um and thinking and so all the things that they used to say I mean we I still find them at Barrel you know Shocking Internet, uh, not enough resources, shocking management of water systems, appalling management of national parks and no um, idea of how to respond to, to bushfires. You know, there's a lot of things now that I live that I was talking about on air and mm. that I'd grown up with. Um, but now I really sort of go, wow, you know, country people deserve
1: better. Yeah. <laughs> and they get, they get very forgotten in the city. And I, I was in the city. I saw that firsthand. Mm, but you were still connected. So it's amazing how that bridge, that divide, it, it, it does seem to be a, a chasm that's widening. For for you leaving Sunrise, I mean, you, you were there hosting for eight years. What was it like leaving in terms of your identity? Did you find that you had to, uh, I guess, change or, or recalibrate who you were as a person?
0: Yes. I mean, I'd never really, um, I tried very hard not to lose myself into that job and to think I, and I promise you this: I tried really hard not to think that that was who I was, and to stay true to myself. And I think I did a pretty good job in that. But it was a pretty big job, and you know, we, it was—you it was, can get lost in that. And I can see easily how people in TV get lost in these jobs, and they think that that is them. Luckily, I always knew that the makeup and the hair—I mean, all the fake hair and the lashes—and I mean, it's all so fake. <laughs> Um, it was like a suit of armour for me, it was like a performance and I felt most natural and happy when I'd take all that off. Um, and I think it would be very worrisome to think that that was who you really were. You know, if you got caught up in all of that, that's where I, you know, I, I went into journalism to tell stories because I love writing I was good at English mum actually signed me up for communications at Bathurst because she was like I was like I don't know what to do <laughs> and mum mum saw it before I did and, and it, so it was a genuine love of storytelling and writing mm-hmm. I thought I'd do you know print or radio um and so therefore and then it all kind of took on another life you know where I ended up working in TV and then it went from one step to another and all of a sudden people walk up to you in the street and know your name and you've got paparazzi sitting outside your door. Was, my my family was like what, what has happened here? Who are you? Where-? you come from I was like I don't know so I never got too caught up in that but in saying that yes when I stepped away I did have to rediscover myself I had to um get back in touch with what was important with who was important because when you leave a big job like that um people some people don't just continue the friendship you know it's it's truly amazing and wow. Yeah, which is good. I'm happy to have that stock take. I was 45 and that was probably a good time to have it. Yeah. And um, and know who your true friends are, which I, I you know, I, well, I always sort of knew that, but it was a good it was a good reminder and a good stock take. So And, look, it was nice to, um, we, it was the middle of COVID, so Rich and I, we, no one could go anywhere. So I was newly married. I just lost mum. It was a huge period of change in my life, so I, it, it was probably... Um, I don't know, maybe cathartic to have to also then strip myself back and go, okay, who am I really? What are my true values and principles? And and it's interesting, I don't know,
1: that I went back to the country to do that. Mm, it's that full cycle thing. What did you end up coming back to? I mean, who are you really? What are your your foundational values?
0: Well, I, I'd always talked about them. And as I say, you know, sometimes your life goes off and you don't always live them. But I, I'd always been very honest. In fact, I was getting, getting so much trouble for being so honest. I think television, maybe, and law would be the only places we'd actually get in trouble for being too honest. Um, You know, honestly, I I went back to, we had this extraordinary situation in my family where mum died in 2020 and dad had a stroke. So I'd lost one parent in the pandemic, which anyone else who experienced loss like that during the pandemic, it was just so extra traumatic and Mm -hmm. difficult. And dad had had a stroke and he's okay, but he wasn't. So um, I really had to, you know, everyone talks about going back to family and my God, I had to just really go to ground and um help dad and we've we had we sold his property and got him out of that moved him into town so I I really um and I, I, re- I reconnected with my brother who I don't I mean I'd always kept in touch like we were close but he's eight years younger and I, Charlie and I had to sort of move dad together my sister lives in London um so Charlie and I took charge and that was kind of lovely in a in, in a strange way because well, you know Charlie was only six when I went to boarding school so to know him now as a man he's such a wonderful bloke um, and to go through that together was quite extraordinary so reconnecting with family was probably the biggest thing for me at that point and you know I'd married rich um, so ma- I mean who gets married in their 40s like it's I mean I know lots of people do but it was it's that's an experience in itself you know taking on another someone else's family and um moving in with someone you know I was so independent and so I was you know cruising I I was always wanting to meet someone but I was quite happy on my own and you know so I had to I, I took on um you take on someone else when you, as you do in marriage, but the older you get, the more certain you might get. <laughs> Luckily it's been very happy and, and smooth sailing, but um, I mean, so much change, but, oh. but I think at the end of it, I, it's, it's, I've come out of it a better and more
1: grounded person. I mean, fundamental shifts, Sam, that's just such a huge 12 months and 2020 really was a year of flux for you losing your beautiful mum, Libby. What did you learn about grief throughout that year?
0: Well, I've been watching some of the Queen, not too much of it, but some of the Queen's um, procession at the moment. And I was thinking, you know, they, have, they keep rerunning all of her old speeches and, I, you know, I thought, God, 2020 was our and it's horrible. I tell you what, I, it was just the pits. And we went, we went from being a, um, a healthy, normal family, you know, a country family. We're all living in all corners of the world and, and very independent kids and Um, you know super successful to you know mum getting so sick and then dad having a stroke Um, what have I learned about grief I mean grief is just it hits you when you don't expect it's gonna hit me now it it hits you when you don't expect it it's you can't avoid it you can't um, hide from it it is overwhelming and it bubbles up constantly I think you know people used to say to me it gets easier but I think when you lose your mum first it's Mm -hmm. it just tears the family you know at the heart so it's um, you feel a bit lost and I'm lucky I had Rich and I mean dad had his own grieving to do and Charlie my brother as I say has just been magnificent Um, and I had some very very good girlfriends and a a very close cousin um, who I I turn to, but you know, I mean, you can't, God, I'm talking about the queen a lot here, you know, grief is the price you pay for love. It's going to come to all of us. You can't go through a life without it. And um, so therefore you just have to sort of grip onto it and and use it to 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 push you or better you or or fuel you in some way. That's that's not being very eloquent, but mm. yeah, you, you have to ride it because otherwise um you just fall in a heap. And yet it's okay to fall in a heap sometimes too, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm so sorry for your loss. It doesn't matter what age or stage you are in life. You always need your mum. So it's, <laughs> it's a really, it's a shitty experience that we're all going to have to go through. But mm. you did have a, a beautiful end to that year with your marriage to Rich, mm. um, which I think you planned in three days. I mean, <laughs> why did you choose to do, have, a, have such an intimate wedding during COVID? <laughs> Well, because we had to, <laughs> we couldn't have anything
0: else, but I'm, I'm actually quite glad it turned out like that. Um, uh, it was, you know why we did that? Because something good had to come out of 2020 and um, it wasn't my idea. Our neighbour was here having uh, a drink on Boxing Day afternoon and we are all sitting outside in the sun having champagne and she said, you know what, you you, you guys should just do this. And Rich and I looked at each other and we were like, and Dad was here. And we're like, yeah, let's. <laughs> so I ordered a dress online from Colors and Patty. It turn. I was squished up in this little ball of express post. <laughs> and, um, and and it's amazing. You know, we had ten people here: Richard's cousin, a, a mate of mine, Charlie, my brother, his wife, and dad. Um, and and one of Richard's daughters. The other one was in Byron Bay <laughs> having a party. We're like, Sash, it's okay, you can stay Byron. <laughs> um, but. Look, it was lovely. I really love that we um, did it like that, and we all we we still promise all our friends we will have a big party, and we will. But you know, this happens; you just never get around to it, mm. and then you do the price costings for these things. And you know, can I just say, having a party in the country is really expensive. <laughs> Put
1: it on your list that you're going to take to the prime yeah. minister. <laughs> I, I,
0: <laughs> yes, the price of portaloos and marquee hire. Um, <laughs> so it's. You know, you know, you sort of think, oh, well, we're coming out of a pandemic. Do we want to spend 80 grand feeding other people for one night? Or, you know, so we'll, we'll see if we have a party. Um, but I'd like to at some point. But, you know, it was nice. It was, it was what it was all about. It's what, it's what marriage should be all about, not spending 80 grand on a market. But just, um, you know, we'd found each other. We wanted to make a commitment and, um and it was no it was it was a great thing for me to do to carry into the next year because it was pretty low our family was pretty low mm-hmm. and it just gave me a bit of security and grounding mm-hmm. and emotionally and um and I'm I love that we did it with no fuss you know so I think when you're a little girl you I mean let's you know I consider myself to be an independent strong woman of 2022 but I think we all as little kids as little girls fantasize about what our weddings are going to be like in the big frou-frou dresses and I just kind of knew deep down that would never be met that I'd never be in the big veil and the big meringue dress that mm-hmm. I love that um, we we just were here in a house that we love in the garden with people that we love and um, you know I had a ribbon in my hair and I had a gorgeous simple dress it was just so it's so me it's so perfect and and it's perfect for my age
1: you know I just love it it was just I think it was very cool. It was very cool I loved seeing the photos which you share so candidly on Instagram it's beautiful to watch your journey um, kicking around in the southern highlands. Uh, Just going back to you as a little girl I mean what are some of your most vivid memories growing up on the land and what were you like as a child?
0: Well I was incredibly shy and I'm not joking I was painfully shocked. one of my earliest memories is you know uh, you know <laughs> when you're at parties in the country and kids are running around in the garden and all the father you know the mothers are inside making salad and the fathers are out at the barbie and I remember grabbing onto a moleskin leg you know around the thigh because I thought it was dad all the men wear remember those <laughs> elephant ear moleskin pants that all the men <laughs> wore with the pressed up pockets so when you're a a toddler you know you're at thigh height and so I grabbed a leg of what I thought was dad you know grabbed around a leg and looked up this tall oh, man yes. and it wasn't my dad and all these men were laughing you know dad was one of the other men in the group and I just remember being so absolutely embarrassed and mortified and I used to just blush up my neck and go red so I, I was it, that <laughs> stays with me forever <laughs> So the fact that I got it, you can understand why my family were like, how in the hell did you get into television and become such a show pony, you know? Um, Well, look, we had an idyllic childhood. We grew up 50 k's from Cooma near Adaminibi on a 16,000-acre property called Bolero Station, which Dad Dad managed a pastoral company for a Greek shipping magnate. Um, So he managed Bolero and then three, four other properties around Rockhampton the raw beef cattle production, huge operation. Mm -hmm. So dad was incredibly busy and it wasn't the average country childhood because we had... We constantly had people (laughs) coming to visit, like Dick Cheney, who was the American Secretary of State, flew down in a Black Hawk helicopter from Canberra. We are about 100 k's from Canberra as the crow flies. So um, we'd have shipping insurance people from New York arriving. We'd have, you know, Japanese exchange students. We'd have British boys straight out of Eton who were coming to do a jackarooing experience with Dad, you know, who was straight out of London. Um, So we had an extraordinary experience, but at its heart, we were just country kids. We went to Adaminby Public School. Um, There were six kids in my class, 24 in the whole school, 250 in the town. We skied for sport on Fridays through winter and we rode horses all through summer. And Bolero is a beautiful property. It's where, um, well, they say that uh, Charlie McKechnie, one of the stockmen on Bolero, was the man from Snowy River. Banjo Patterson used to come down and stay. in in his day, from Sydney, and he wrote Now I know everyone claims the Manfred Snow River, but I promise this is a true story. (laughs) They say that he wrote the Manfred Snowy River based on this stockman from Bolero called Charlie McKechnie, who broke his neck in a riding accident. Um, So it was a very historically significant property. Patrick White, Jackaroo there. um, Farlap was filmed. The scene in Farlap where they're meant to be in Mexico is actually the drought of 1983 at Adaminibi on our property uh, at the racetrack. So it was a beautiful, uh, the Murrumbidgee wound through it, you know, huge, um, well, before, before wool sort of lost its value huge merino sheep property and then then dad sort of took it more into cattle and bit of loose and it was just spectacular we had an idyllic childhood very lucky um but hard work for dad so he you know he had four men working for him so we very rarely saw dad and mum was one of those fabulous country women who could do a dinner party for 12 out of the pantry and you know we had a big deep freeze where dad would kill a sheep or a bullock or something you know once every couple of months and it would all just be put in the freezer you'd have to freeze bread we're, it was quite a long way out of town in those days yeah um so we learned to we were we were low key and low fuss and um but we had a great life I, and I I loved it. I was a tomboy I was literally on a horse most of my childhood belting through the I mean it sounds made <laughs> built we used to go riding up in Kosciuszko National Park and we'd chase brumbies and we were just wild. We were wild and we were happy and we were sort of unchecked. And mum and dad were literally those parents. And I think a lot of country kids will relate to this. If you ever came into the house and said, I'm thirsty, you know, dad would be like, there's a tap out there. <laughs> or if you ever, God forbid, said, I'm bored. Oh. It'd be like, what? Out the door. Out you go. So Nobody we were-
1: utters those words.
0: Exactly. And this is why I love country kids, because they know how to make their own fun. Um, So we, you know, were very self-sufficient. I mean, I think when I think about what made me successful in my career, you know, I was very self-sufficient. I was very tough. Um, I knew how to have a good time, but I
1: also knew how to rough it, you know. Mm. Well, that toughness, I mean, within your career, that's something you have to display. How do you deal with the trolls and that cancel culture mob? Or how did you throughout those very, very visible years at Sunrise And with Channel Seven.
0: Well, luckily, uh, I'm not doing it now because I think it's a lot worse now. Um, But it was it was the fringe, you know, a few years ago when it started to sort of things would blow up around me. And I think you'll find, and I say this very strongly, um, I never said anything. I never did or said anything. Things would blow up around me, and I have to wear this as a badge of honor. But something would happen on set that was organized by producers, and five people would be on set, but. I would be the one that was written about. And I have to wear that as a badge of honour um, because, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, <laughs> what else can you do? What else can you do if you don't laugh, you cry? Because yeah. it's, Why are they interested in me? Um, so how did I handle it well you'd go I mean in those days you'd you'd ha- it was it was horrible yeah. you'd have to shut down your insta I mean I haven't even thought of this is so far from my mind now that I have to dig deep to think about what I did but you'd I do remember at times going into almost this sort of like you know when someone's being punched in a boxing you know you, you almost put your hands up in front of your face and you just take the body blows and, and um, it's felt like that at times um, and then it would blow over and they'd pick on someone else but it was It was exhausting at the end. It was part of the reason I got out of there. You know, no, that's not how you want to live your life. It's just completely stupid. And this mob mentality where, you know, they haven't even read the story. They don't even actually know what happened because often I'd be kind of going, hang on just don't read the Daily Mail headline. There's a reason why these Daily Mail headlines take up half the page because people only read the headlines and then they, I mean, these these media companies need to be responsible for sending the mob after people when it's not actually even what happened it just to get clicks and you're kind of standing there going, um, hang on, go and watch the clip back and see what was actually said or see what actually happened. Um, people just want to hate online. But as far as anonymous trolls, you know, I just find it also. Ridiculous! I, I, I try not to give it too much oxygen. Like who who um, don't read it and don't? Who cares what some anonymous loser who can't even put their own photo and name online is saying about you? You know, um, it's if the Daily Mail stirs up trouble and then a whole lot of anonymous losers get on and comment on it and go, "Who is she anyway? Who cares about her?" It's like, well, you're the ones reading the Daily Mail. <laughs> Who's the biggest idiot? <laughs> so I don't, I don't, um, I don't participate in it anymore. I try not to, but it is, it's funny because I had all that, I had that time away from it and then, you know, I came back with farmer and I, and it'll probably happen Happen with racing. As soon as you raise your head and come back into the, onto the dance floor, mm-hmm. it's again,
1: you know, who, who do you think you are, you know, it's like, shut up <laughs> yeah absolutely and it comes back to that fabulous quote about um, it's not the man in the arena who doesn't count you know it's the man really? in the arena who's giving it a go who's throwing his hat in oh my uh, god I'd so much
0: rather be the person out that's a Brené Brown I, yeah. I did used to use that a lot in my career um you know if you're not out there having your ass kicked and having a crap, have a go like don't just be an anonymous loser <laughs> like, it's, so, it's so laughable that you that anyone would take that sort of stuff seriously you know mm out there putting yourself out there doing whatever you know it's it's ridiculous it's kind of funny really
1: well it says more about them than it does you but you know for for those coming through and I I think about female journos and and young women in media who probably look to you as an inspiration I mean what would you say to them about getting through they come here to tell stories and and they want to be good at their job what do you say or do you have any advice or kind of uh, ideas around how to proceed in an industry which can be pretty rife with with challenges well I
0: mean it's a highly competitive industry it's I mean it's just it's just unbelievably competitive most of the people in there would literally put their great push their grandmother down the stairs to get the next job and it was a very different era for me coming through. I know I'm starting to sound old when I say stuff like this, but times have changed. Women are far more supportive of other women these days, far less threatened. When I came through, um, it was just, it was like the wild west. And if you did, you know, you, you'd get put into these jobs by the male executives, can I tell you? Yeah. And these women would hate you forever. It's it's. It's very different now. I think people have had to take a big deep breath and just relax and, well, I hope so. God, I don't, I don't know what's going on in there now, but it must have changed, <laughs> surely. But um, I, I it's, it's a great career. You know, if you strip away all that crappy bit of it, it's a wonderful experience to, I mean, some of the things that I got to do and some of the people I got to interview are, you know, Rich will often turn to me when we're watching TV and he'll say, have you met him? You know, like Matt Damon on a movie or something. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he'll say, have you been there? I'm like, um, Morocco. Yes, I have actually. You know, I have to, <laughs> I mean, it, it is so fun when it's, yeah. um, when it's, at it's in its purest form. So my advice to young women coming through would be to ignore the crap. Um, do your thing, you know, be nice to everyone, conduct yourself well enjoy the ride because it can be fantastic and just don't get caught up in the politics you know I was, I was talking to um I ran into Gemma Acton who's just divine from Seven she's a, a business reporter with Seven and a wonderful girl a uh, woman and I ran into her at the hairdresser the other day we're having great calls and she said um she said you know I just love it. I just sail in I do my thing and I sail out and I was like that is what you need to do that mm-hmm. is the key to it um don't get bogged down in the politics. Don't get caught up in the crap. Don't read the comment section of the Daily Mail. <laughs> and just be yourself, because that's what I do. I didn't know how I didn't know how to bullshit. I probably should have been a bit better at bullshitting and I would have had a easier time.
1: Well, I don't. I think the longevity of your career certainly um, stands for something, Sam. I think that people loved your humour and, and how much of a sharpshooter you are. It's extraordinary that you were so shy because you come across as, as such a warm and um, I don't know an extrovert. Do you Do you think you're an extrovert? No. No, not at all. and when we're um,
0: and this actually, back to your earlier question, how I, like how have I rediscovered myself with Richard's mate, like now in normal world, in normal living, um, you know at a dinner party with people I don't know, and of course, you know, I had this experience where I married a man who was older and met a whole new group of mates yeah. of different of a different generation, and I can be very- i surprised myself because all of a sudden I thought. Oh, I, I can be very quiet and very reserved um, in a in a new scenario, and that is my obviously my default. That's my that's my personality. You know, a lot of the um, well on television. You, uh, look, I'm not saying I can't listen to me. I can talk under water with a mouthful of marbles, but um, I can, I am quite reserved, and I I like that. I'd much rather be. You know, if the pandemic taught us anything, it's that. Extroverts are so annoying
1: sometimes. <laughs> I'd so much rather be an introvert, <laughs> or probably the best of both—an extroverted introvert.
0: <laughs> well, I—I I, I did not watch the Emmys, but I watched a bit of the news report on the Emmys the other night, and the actors carrying on on stage. I was like, "Oh God, they're annoying!" And Richard's like, "Oh God,
1: they're annoying." I thought, "Oh, I love this man." <laughs> that's so great looking back at your career now I didn't you've probably had lots of time to reflect but got some exciting projects you you work on your podcast I mean what's that like as a medium and what do you enjoy about it I love the podcast um I I do that for Stella I
0: write for Stella magazine which is a news court magazine and this is the podcast through them um it has been really great but and again a challenge for me because I had I would no experience of long form interviewing and you don't I mean when you work in a newsroom in a commercial network there's there's nothing nothing runs over a minute 10 <laughs> so everything was fast and I was conditioned to um, think that grabs had to be four seconds and people have got no time to consume news so all of a sudden I turned my hand to this podcast and most of it has been just interviewing old mates of mine, you know, Julie Bishop and Carl Stefanovic and you know, and with a sprinkling of um, normal people with with amazing stories in their life, which I love. I love those stories the most and telling those. Um, but to to do a sort of for, as you're doing now, a 40 minute interview, which has got to have highs and lows, and you've got to take people down, then you've got to bring them back up, and that's a skill. Mm. And it wasn't a skill I had, so I learned it, and I've love doing it it's fascinating and I cut the feedback on the podcast is extraordinary people love it Mm. um and they do listen to it in the car or on the train when the trains are running in Sydney or walking the dog you know people do have time to consume good quality um good quality information and and listen to stories that people you know they want to hear about so hopefully there's some people
1: still I do talk a lot hopefully there's still some people listening to this oh for sure I just think there's such a luxury and really delving into the details of someone's life for you also you're coming into the racing season and you have a contract with seven um, reporting around that what's your connection to racing and why do you love it so much so I've
0: been very fortuitous to meet Mary Rich because I was doing all this stuff on my own before I met him. I've just always loved racing. Both my grandfathers, as many people in the country will will uh, be familiar with, uh, both my grandfather's owned and trained racehorses. And um, my mum's father played polo, you know, dad always rode. Um, The Armitage family in Victoria has a great connection to racing. My um, grandpa's cousin was Peter Armitage, who was the chairman of the VRC for many years. Um, We'd always ridden horses. And, you know, when you grow up in the country, your social event of the year is the country, the races, I can't, t- I mean, I reckon I've been to every race meeting from Echuca to, you know, Birdsville. <laughs> <laughs> I remember having my first dad made it to Shandy at the Buru at Picnic. <laughs> that was my first drink at about, I don't know, probably telling tales here, 14, you know, dad was making all of my cousins. Good God love that. Um so I'd always had this connection. You were always given $10 to have a little punt with the bookies at the picnic races and you'd run around until dark and your parents would <laughs> probably drive home in those days. Um, look, picnic races aren't what they used to be, which makes me very sad. Anyway, so I've always loved racing. And then I met a man who is a brilliant horseman. He is just the most beautiful rider and... Um, and this is part of the reason I fell in love with Rich, to watch him with horses. He's so gentle and patient and um, he's got a really beautiful connection with horses. And now in his retirement, um, he's breeding and sort of just mucking around and having some success breeding horses and, um, you know, just playing around with it a little bit on a fairly small scale but you know he's got we've got one with Chris Waller and or we've got two with Chris Waller and Annabelle Nesham so he's doing it properly in fact that's where he is today he's taking a mare to scone <laughs> in the old Toyota we laugh because <laughs> Rich drives pretty wild our our filly who's having some success into Chris Wallace stables in Rose Hill in the old beaten up Toyota Land Cruiser from 2000 with the old float on the back. I love <laughs> and it. And comes out and he's like, what is this, the Beverly Hillbillies? <laughs> and there's all, you know, nature strips there, <laughs> all these multi-million dollar syndicates, and we come in with the <laughs> <laughs> hay coming out of our mouth, you know. And I love it. I mean, I just, I think... Um, there's such a connection between racing and the country it's in my blood and and I love that Rich and I go we're going this weekend we you know we go most weekends I love that we can do it together I love that we um that now finally you know I used to I used to hunt I think of all those days North Bondi and I'd be hunting around to my girlfriend saying can you come with me on Saturday come to the come to Ramek on Saturday they'd be like no I'm busy the kids have got this the kids (laughs) and I'm like Who am I going to go and do all this stuff with? And then
1: there he was. Yeah. How fabulous. How magic. What is it that you guys love to do together on the farm? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. we do. Look, we're good mates. It's really, it's been so great. I've been so lucky. Um, We... Well, well it, it's quite, I mean, Rich is sort of retired, so he's not working flat chat and not trying to run a property and and make money out of a property. So it's different to sort of when my when we were little with my dad, which it was hard work and you'd never see your father because he's gone from dawn to dusk. Um, you know, Rich has more time now. So we will do things together around the farm. But we love to ski. Um, we ride a bit here, uh, although Rich has sold quite a few of his riding horses. He sort of sold all the ones that...
1: I can ride the quiet We're, ones. The yes.
0: <laughs> We've only got like the crazy
1: thoroughbreds left. I'm, like,
0: I'm not coming really- off
1: grain. No, thank
0: yeah. you. I'm, like, I'm still working. I cannot afford to have an accident. So, um, uh we ride a bit. Um, what do we do? I mean, we we literally we have such a great time. We're trying to do more travel. I mean, the whole idea behind this is that we you know, I want to be able to travel and have great experiences with him. So, we will do that it's hard because the world hasn't been open to do it. Um, but we play a bit of golf, you know, we do, we, you know, we're always doing something. We've, we've got this huge friendship circle now because we put all of, both of our friendship circles together. So we're, you know, it's literally, I said to him the other day, I just need a night at home. Like I want a <laughs> night in my home bed.
1: <laughs> After COVID complacency. I know. Would have thought?
0: It's so busy. Like I'm either in Sydney doing things or we you know, he's in Scone to driving horses or, I mean, hey, you know, this is the thing that I i had forgotten in the country, and I was talking to a girlfriend the other day who's married to a farmer. The Houston's out at hay, and Sarah Glasson was my oldest mate in the world. We grew up. She was from Dalgetty, and she's got four boys out there. And she said she does ten, She did ten thousand k's in a month on the road four boys, taking them to football and, you know, for whatever else you have to do. But, if you, you know, you have to you have to travel long distances to do anything when you're in the country, and that's just the, you know, the price you pay. Um, and country people don't think anything of it. And I'm sort of <laughs> going, oh, jeez, I have to get in the car and get. You know, I've been going down to Wagga to see Dad, and that's, you know, four hours each way. And it's like everything is just so far in this country.
1: Um, so thank that, god for quality podcasts thank god for
0: well this is exactly it and thank god for fuel prices coming down a bit too yeah
1: that's i don't it. know how electric
0: cars are gonna i don't know the and this i don't know <laughs> maybe we should bring some of these you know city folk in the media down to to Wagga to see how far away things are before we
1: you know commit to electric cars i don't quite know how it's all gonna work no exactly i uh, yeah that is another, that's a whole podcast topic in and of I itself.
0: <laughs> I might be getting myself into hot water with that. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of things in the bush
1: that, um, that, you know, we're going to have to work out separately. And meeting Rich, obviously, you know, that comes with another role, which is step You have two beautiful yes. girls who are your well, stepdaughters.
0: I can't stand that. Stash <laughs> that <word. laughs> is 21 and Grace is 24. So, um, I, and I fit in quite nicely in between like I'm actually the midpoint between their age and Richards, so With the translator like, yeah well i'm so, well, I try to be, but there's a lot of stuff i I'll say to the girls like what does that, that mean? Is that a good thing? Like, what is going on? And I quite like being a bit disconnected from all of it. like, I can't stand, you know, I, I you would never find me on TikTok or be real. I do not let the young people have it. I don't, <laughs> want to be, uh, I'll, I'm happy to stick with Instagram, um, but they're great fun. You know, it's, it's been nice for me to, because I sort of um, consider them as mates, you know, mm. it, um, it's quite lucky that you know, they are completely grown up, Sasha's at uni and Grace is working and they're travelling and they're having all these experiences and both of them sort of do things around the media. So I offer advice or connections when I can, if they want them, but mainly, you know, you just, you know, we're all just doing our thing and it's been, um, it's been nice. It's, it's always, it's nice to sort of grow your family. It's lovely
1: mm. to have that added dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. Is family something that you ever thought about or in terms of children?
0: Yes, I did, but it hasn't happened. And I am quite happy with that path, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm quite accepting of, um, you know, where I am and meeting rich and life is good. You know, I think you all, we all accept our path and that's mine and that's, that's okay.
1: Well Sam you've got such a, a rich and, and full life rather than saying busy a friend of mine says you must say full so you've got a rich and full life with rich and um, <laughs> and some really exciting projects coming up so is there anything else that you can tell us about that's kind of exciting on the cards well look we're
0: we're, we're about to start um farmer the next season so i can't give away too much there but you know there's more coming with that um and racing will i mean racing would be so much fun the spring carnival is just my favorite time of year um so we've got a little added race meeting this year so that's exciting um so melbourne cup day will be very exciting for for sydney siders this year can't say too much but um Look, it's it's good times. I I can't think of a, a weekend that we have a quiet weekend up until Christmas, which kind of horrifies me, but also makes me excited because I've had I've had my little break, so it's good to it's good to get stuck back in and. I mean, if La Nina would bugger off and the sun would come out, that's my little whinge for the day. But other than that, everything is pretty good.
1: Yeah, I don't think we're going to be ever having a hot girl summer this this year. Um, fashion's on the field. I mean, what are your hot tips? Where do you find your frocks? Oh, well, um, see, I've had to come out
0: of hibernation with all of this and I, I'm using a brilliant... Um, stylist called Susie Escander who's a Melbourne girl who's helping me and all the seven racing girls and she it's kind of fun again you know when you do it every day when you have to you know when you're on air every day and it becomes a chore but when you do it fun it's a whole new experience so um, Susie's brilliant and she's introduced me to a whole lot of new Melbourne brands and so that's a bit of fun. I'm loving a bit of Mossman. We always love a bit of Colours and Patty um, and finding some new milliners. But look, I don't. you'd have to talk to Kate Waterhouse to get the lowdown on the fashion. I'm just, I'm i a bit, you know, I know what I like, but I'm not that fashion forward. Um, but I think it's going to be colourful. I think everybody is so ready to have a party mm-hmm. and be out again um, that I think there will be colour. I think it will be... Pretty juicy. I think everyone will be making a huge effort, and I love that. I I, we go to the races most weekends, as I said, and you know I have a look around and I think I just love, I love everything about racing. You know I love that. I love it from the horse perspective and how magnificent these animals are and how skilled these jockeys are. But I love that. You know, Randwick. You look down the Randwick Lawn and they're. It's full. It's full of people in color and dresses and hats and they're having champagne. And everyone's having fun and it's just fabulous. It's so yeah. what a great way to spend
1: a Saturday. Oh, couldn't agree more. So fun to have that atmosphere and the bubbles doesn't hurt either. Exactly. <laughs> oh, well, Sam, it's been such a pleasure to chat and you're just as fabulous as you appear on TV. So oh, thank you thank so you. much for your time. It's been thank heaven. You. I'm actually better one on one than I am on mass. <laughs>
0: I have to say, as an introvert, so thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Didn't that chat just make you fall in love with Sam even more? Nothing was too much trouble, and her warmth and candour completely shone through the screen. She certainly made me very aware of cadence and pitch and those honeyed, dulcet tones she has that come from years of reporting live. I also so enjoyed learning about her early years growing up on Bolaro Station and the ebbs and flows of her career. And I couldn't be more pleased for Sam that she's found such happiness with Rich and their life on the land. You can find Sam on Channel 7 with her reports Trackside as she explores the thrills of this season's racing, as well as her starring role as guest presenter for Farmer Wants a Wife. The journalist also has a regular column for the Daily Telegraph's weekend supplement, Stella Magazine, and the podcast she is hosting alongside Stella aptly called Something to Talk About. If you loved this chat, don't forget to send to a friend and rate and review the pod on Apple Podcasts. It takes 30 seconds and makes a massive difference for us. Until next time, keep well.